This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, welcome everybody to Playlist today featuring the song Right Now by Van Halen. came out in 1992. For some of us, that feels like it was yesterday. For some of us, that was a long time before we were born. Okay, so if that wants to make you feel old, that should. Um, Sammy Hagar said of the writing of this song, the music was almost 10 years old before it was released. Uh, Eddie Van Halen had written the piano riff at the beginning and a lot of the, the music to the song had already been kind of orchestrated and put together. And then Hagar was working on writing the lyrics, which he would later say were the best lyrics he'd ever written. But Van Halen was, was just a, a pop rock party band, okay? I mean, just rock party anthems. But this song was an attempt to get serious about real issues. As a matter of fact, Sammy Hagar would say, I was tired of writing cheap songs. I wanted to get serious. The book we're looking at today, the book of Zechariah, is a complicated prophetic call to take certain things about our lives serious right now. So we're going to begin by reading uh, literally the first words of the book. We're going to read Zechariah 1 from 1 to 6. Would you stand as we honor the reading of the Word of God? This again would be like the prophetic books. This is God speaking through Zechariah to his people. It's going to begin in verse 1. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, son of Edo. The Lord was very angry with your ancestors. Therefore, tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Do not be like your ancestors, to whom the earlier prophets proclaimed, this is what the Lord Almighty says, Turn from your evil ways and your evil practices, but they would not listen or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Where are your ancestors now? And the prophets, do they live forever? But did not my words and my decrees, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your ancestors? Then they repented and said, The Lord Almighty has done to us what our ways and practices deserve, just as He determined to do. Let's pray as we get started. Father God, we just pray that as we focus the attention of our hearts onto Your Word, that You would speak to us today. God, that You would encourage us. Some of us come in having walked through some stuff this week. God, where we are weak, would you give us strength? Where we feel broken, God, would you bring healing into our lives? 
where we feel lost, would you save us? We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Take a seat. And as you're taking a seat, touch your neighbor and ask them, are you ready to get to work? Now look back at that person and say, I didn't know we were supposed to be at work right now. I'm late. I don't, I'm not even there. I want to review just so you know where this book falls in the timeline of the Old Testament. The Old Testament, after the garden, the fall of man begins with the story of redemption. And the story of redemption doesn't start with God starting a church. God starts a family. Okay? So he begins with Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right, the very beginning. So Abraham is preeminent at the start of the Old Testament. And then God uses, as that family grows, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then the 12 tribes of the 12 sons of Jacob. They become a people, not just a family. So God uses Moses then to rescue his people out of Egypt. And God, through Moses, leads them out and then leads them into the promised land. Then once they're there and they are a people and a nation, there are kings that rule and reign over them. King David becomes the prototype of a good king. He is the stick by which every other king will be measured against. There are good kings and there are bad kings. And because there are a lot more bad kings than there were good kings, God sends judgment on his people. First using the Assyrians to take out the northern kingdom and then using the Babylonians to take out the southern kingdom. The people of God are taken away into exile. So the nations are obliterated. The people are led away. That's the fourth major thing to understand. So where are we today? We're in post-exile Jerusalem. We're after the exile. So after the exile, there's a period of time when the Persians allow the Israelites to return to their native land. And so they're there. Now in week two, Brian Barker shared about Nahum, which is a, a prophecy against Assyria. It's kind of like a sequel to Jonah. We know Jonah, right? Jonah gets swallowed by fish. Super famous story out of the Bible, right? Some of us have a hard time believing that there could be a fish that's that big. But okay, that's the story, okay? Jonah, Nahum, sequels. The book that we're looking at today, Zechariah, is a sequel to another book. It's a book named Haggai. It's named for, that's a really fun name. I don't see a lot of kids get named Haggai, okay? All right? And that's a, another minor prophet in the Old Testament. So I'm going to review that because that's really going to set the stage for you to understand where we are today. Haggai chapter 1 verse 2, thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. So Haggai's just out of the gate. These people who have returned back, everything in Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple destroyed. So now they're saying after they've returned, it's not time. It's not time to rebuild the temple. It's not time to do the work. It's not time. Why are they saying that? Because the temple's been destroyed. Now, just to make this clear, from the very beginning of all of this, God's intentionality was that He, as a holy God, could dwell with the people that were not holy. He loves you so much. He wants to be with you. He wants to be near you. He wants to love on you. He wants relationship with you. This is why 
the sacrificial system and the temple become so important because this is where we were allowed to make sacrifices so that for a period of time, we could be in the presence of God. God wants to be with his people. And so he's looking at, you're saying not now? Then the next couple verses, then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. It is time, or is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruin? He's talking about the house of God. Like he's, he's saying, God, through Haggai, saying, you, you, you got a really nice house, but my house is in ruin. Is, is that really what you're saying? So then, later on in chapter 1, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. I love this because that phrase is all throughout the book of Haggai. It's kind of like, you ever heard somebody say, you better check yourself. You know, it's like God saying to you, you better check yourself. Like, consider your ways. Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it that I may be glorified. What God's saying, listen, I want to be with you. This is not, this is not about like some kind of worship right. This is about a sacrifice that allows me to be with you. I want to be with you. This is for you. So notice this verse in verse 14. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, right? That's a fun name to say, okay? Another name you don't see kids get named today, okay? Can you imagine having to yell at a kid whose name was Zerubbabel? That'd be a lot of fun. Then the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah. So this is important to understand he's the political leader, okay? And the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So the political leader and the spiritual leader, God has stirred their spirit in the spirit of all the remnant of the people. That's what the people who came back to Israel, they were called the remnant. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their gods. Their God. So they get back to work, right? They actually start working on rebuilding the temple. Here, this is a very important thing to understand these two books. Haggai dates to 520, early 520 B.C. Zechariah dates to late 520 B.C. into about 518 B.C. They are literally within months of each other. And what we're going to find is that after Haggai, they started the work, but then they stopped the work. They got the work starting to do what God had said, but they stopped. And this is the first thing in your notes I want you to see. It's possible to start strong, but not finish the journey. It is possible in life to start strong. I mean to come out of the gates, get on fire for it, to just fall in love with it, but to not get to the finish line. I've come to see that there are three stages of any journey, any discipline, any pursuit. I'll give you those real quick. These aren't on the screen, but it'll help you just in what I'm about to share with you. Number one is starting. Number two is staying. And number three is finishing. Starting, staying, and finishing. It's important to start. 
it's important to start. Y'all listen, some of y'all have felt the Lord tell you to do some things. And you have argued with the Lord, well, I can't do it because I don't have all these things. You're like, God says, I want you to start journaling. You're like, well, God, I need a nice journal and I need all the pens and I've got to have all. And God's like, no, just start. Well, God, I, I, start serving. Well, I need to figure it all out. Where are my best? No, just start. Go do something for your neighbor. Well, I, what do they like? I don't know what they want. Just start. Sometimes you just got to have the courage to start. It's important to start. But it's more important to stay. Oh, I love a good wedding day. It's wedding season around here. You know? I know some of y'all were probably at weddings yesterday. I love a good wedding day. That's the start, isn't it? It's a beautiful day. There's a lot of ceremony. As a matter of fact, I've seen some of y'all's wedding day pictures posted for some anniversaries recently. Oh, it's a beautiful day. Get a lot of pictures taken. Do some toast. Have some cake. But all that goes away in just a few days, doesn't it? And then it gets real life. And all of a sudden, the things that were so easy to celebrate, so easy become difficult and trying. And man, I can remember, we fought about everything within that first year. Even fought about toilet paper. What ways is it supposed to go? Does it go over? Does it go under? I was an under person. My wife was an over person. And we'd just flip it around on each other and yell at each other. And she won. Okay, it's over now. It's literally over. It's important to start. But it's more important to stay. There are a lot of people who look good in the start. A lot of people who get, get real boisterous about what they, they know and how good it's going and how beautiful the pictures are, but they're not able to stay. It's important to start, but it's more important to stay. Why? Because the only way to finish is to stay. The only way you get to the finish line is if you're willing to stay. There's a blessing in starting. There is. This is why some of you, you've you've opened your Bibles, felt like God said, I want you to read your Bible. And you open your Bible for the very first time. And it's like the words on the page come alive. And God pours life into your spirit. There's a blessing in starting. But you get a few weeks into it, you get a few months into it, and all of a sudden you're like, it just doesn't feel like that. It doesn't feel the same. That's because now the blessing, you're getting the blessing every day, and when you start to get something every day, you don't understand how good it was. I think somebody needs to be just a little bit reminded today that there's some stuff in your life that you take for granted. Oh, I heard this story not too long ago. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina. It was pretty normal for us to go to the beach with our friends. And I mean, I can remember growing up and being a 19-year-old college intern and just going with the, with the boys. We're going to go surfing, right? We're going to go out. I can't surf for anything, okay? But I could go float around on a surfboard and look cool, okay? That was all I did. But one of my friends said they were out and they were at the beach with their kids and their kids were complaining about how bad it was. And this lady in her, in her 50s walked out, fell down on her knees, started to cry and weep. 
influence. And her family comes and joins her. And they overhear the conversation. It's the first time she'd ever seen the ocean. Sometimes there's just stuff we take for granted that we don't know how beautiful it is. There's a blessing in starting for sure, but there's a better, greater blessing in staying. And I want you to hear this today. God wants you to finish. He wants you to finish this journey He's called you into. I mean, for sure, the journey of following Him. I don't know about you, but I want to get to the end of that and hear God say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to hear that. But I want to finish the journey of marriage and the journey of parenting and the journey that comes with my calling. I, I want to finish these journeys. But the only way you finish is to stay. Is to stay. See, Zechariah is eight different prophetic visions all the way through the book. And it's pretty interesting in, in, in maybe a different way than other uh, prophetic writings. Zechariah will explain that along the way. And that's helpful because his visions are weird. I'm just <laughs> going to be up front. It's like, then I saw a great bucket. And it had a lead top on it. And the angel opened the lid. And there was a woman in the bucket. And you're like, Zechariah, I don't know what you ate, but it probably wasn't good. I don't, know if, I don't think they had Taco Bell in 500 B.C., but you might have had some bad Taco Bell. It sounds like that. But he explains it. He'll go, well, the woman is iniquity, and the bucket is this, and all that kind of stuff. And some of the visions are apocalyptic. They're looking to the end of times. Some of them literally look to the, the coming of Jesus. And some of them are contextual. And this is what's important. With the temple unfinished and God's people not worshiping, all right, sitting, as Haggai said, in their paneled houses, saying it's, it's okay that the house of God is in ruin. God uses this prophet to call His people back to work. And we see this in the fourth chapter of Zechariah, beginning in verse 6. So look at this. He said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Now we see that name again, right? Super fun to say. All right. And notice what he says not by might nor by power but by my spirit says the Lord it's a subtle rebuke in other words you tried to do this in your own strength but there's something real big that I've called you to do and the only way you can do it is by my spirit notice what else he says next one where are you mighty mountain before Zerubbabel you will become level ground now this is important because literally, under Zerubbabel's leadership, they would mine a mountain that they would then use to build the temple. So when Jesus stood and said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can say to that mountain, be moved. This is exactly what he was referencing. Then he will bring, Zerubbabel will bring out the capstone to shouts, God bless it, God bless it. Y'all listen. The, the capstone in masonry was the last piece of the puzzle. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. In other words, they got started. But his hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. 
Who dares despise the day of small things? Since the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hands of Zerubbabel. I want to make just two more observations from this text that we just read. And number two in your notes is we can't finish the work on our own. We cannot finish the work that we're called to on our own. Now you've heard me say before that you have got to do the work. Proverbs 21 says, the horse is made ready for battle, but the victory is the Lord. There's some stuff we have to do. In our lives, proverbially, we have to get the horse ready for battle. There's some stuff nobody else can do it for you. There's nobody who can pray for you. There's nobody who can read the Bible for you. There's nobody who can change your attitude other than you. There's some stuff that only you can do for you. And we have got to make sure we're doing our part. We've got to do the work. But there's some things we cannot do. There's some things in life. Some of you right now have hit a wall in your life because you're asking for some things. You need some things to happen in your life that you can't do for yourself. And I want to submit to you that that's a holy place to be. When you get to a place where your strength ends and you need the strength of God, you'll never be able to finish God's journey and your own power. And I I need you to hear that in in the sense of us following Jesus. Like, we're not going to be able to finish that journey in my own strength. It is by His strength in me. But that's the journey of saying, I want to end this marriage journey together. I want to end this parent journey. I want to end the the journey of my calling. I want to end all of those well. I can't do it. If God's called me into it, I'm going to need God to sustain me through it. Did you notice what He told Zechariah? Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Y'all listen to what I'm about to say. We need the Holy Spirit. Now for sure... In in Christian churches, we proclaim the need of Jesus and the Gospel. And and I want you to know that's true. The blood of Jesus is what cleanses us. But Jesus said, listen, I'm going to go away and the Father's going to send the Holy Spirit. And there's power in the Holy Spirit. Some of us feel weak. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of us feel lost. We need the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot of us who are struggling in a lot of ways. And it's because our lives are not being led in a way that's sensitive to the presence of the Holy Spirit. And God looks at Zerubbabel and says, listen, you hear me? This is not going to happen by might or by power. The things that you have as a governor to control. I'm telling you what, I'm waiting for some politicians who get that. It is not by might, nor by power, not by the things that we can control. We're going to get to where we're supposed to go by the Spirit of God. We need the Holy Spirit. And Can I just say this as a church? We need the Holy Spirit. I have become convinced that there are things within this church we cannot do. We cannot save anybody. It is the Lord who wills and saves. 
We can't heal anybody. God is the one who heals. We can't even grow the church. But we can lift up the name of Jesus. And the Bible says that if we'll do that, He will draw all men unto Himself. I'm all for systems. I'm all for learning best practices. And we do all that. But there are some things we can't do. Two years ago, a little over two years ago, we were on the cusp of starting our second campus. Late 2019, we had bought and renovated the property and we were growing. And to be honest with you, the seats looked like this. There were a lot of people who were coming. But then y'all know what happened, 2020. We tried a little bit in 2021, but kind of exposed some things. Like we didn't have enough leaders in certain places. I mean, I'll just give you practically one. Y'all see worship leaders, right? And so at that point in time, the only two people lead were me and Erica. So in 2021, we split for 10 weeks. And it had to be me here and her there. And that was it because that's all we had. And so it showed us that, you know what, even though we had some of the resources in our hand, sometimes not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, the spirit does say no. The Spirit does say, you need to wait a little bit. And when the Spirit says no, and you need to wait, it's not because God's trying to keep you from He's It's trying to actually protect you from something. And I look back now, and I'm like, so, so thankful, God, we didn't have the right leaders. We weren't really ready for it. Thank you for it, but we're ready for it now. I want you to hear that. Two weeks from now, we will be one church family meeting in two houses. I've used the kind of old Thanksgiving meal at Grandma's house where the, the family got so big you had to stuff the kids out in the living room. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you're just putting tables in every room wherever you can shove people. That's where we are. Same meal, same, same message. It's going to be live at every location. We're excited about it. We're ready for it. But it's... It's about us creating space so that there's empty seats where people can encounter the Holy Spirit. When I've looked at the faces that I've seen in the seats this morning, I've seen some faces of people who've been healed of cancer. I see faces of people who six months ago didn't know Jesus, but now they're following Jesus and bringing their friends to church. When I look around, I see marriages who have been healed and restored. I want you to know that this city needs more of that. And we've got to make room so that there's some empty seats where people can encounter the Holy Spirit. It is not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. We're going to get back to work. I'm telling you what. We're not going to be like those that took a break and we're, we're going to go live in our... We're going to get back to work. And there's some stuff we can't do, but there's some stuff we can. And what we can do is make sure that we've got enough free seats so that somebody who needs the healing of God can find the presence of the Holy Spirit. But the other thing I want you to see from this text is number three. Celebrate the small steps. I'm going to tell you. I am not somebody given to celebrate small things. 
My personality is like, we won when I was a football coach, and you'd ask me if we're going to go celebrate. I know we got a game coming next Friday. All right? We got some work we got to do. But I have had to learn that we have got to celebrate the small steps. Did you notice what Zechariah said? Who dares despise the day of small things? You know how you move a mountain? One bucket at a time. Zechariah was prophesying something that even for us today, we need to be celebrate the small steps. Don't be so consumed with the prize that you don't enjoy the process. There's a lot of things in life that are a process. You want to get healthy? Physically feel a little convicted? It'll be a process to get healthy. It's a process. You want to grow in Christ? It's a process. And we've got to start to embrace that process. And what I often see is that the prize is often the process. People who win in an area, they actually fall in love, not with the prize, but with the process. Oh, people who win with money fall in love with saving a little money. Man, I could not understand it when I was a kid. My parents would celebrate saving a dollar on something. I mean, they were just those kinds of people. I mean, just hooping and hollering, so excited that they could find this for a little cheaper. Now, my parents have won with money. But they fell in love with the process. You've got to love the process. And if you'll fall in love, y'all listen, this is why this is important. Falling in love with the process keeps you staying in the discipline. And that gets you to the finish line. Oh, I remember when we realized in 2020 that we weren't going to be able to open the, the campus on time and that we were shut down for weeks. And then when we finally did reopen and we tried it in 2021 for a little bit of, of time, we did the 10-week trial and we, we learned. And I said earlier, you know, like we didn't have enough worship leaders to kind of station out for two campuses and started really kind of realizing that there were some spotlights on weaknesses. It kind of began to give us a priority for where here's some stuff we've got to start working towards. And there's small steps. And so then we have these young people who show up. I'll eat if you want me to. You know, and like, oh, okay. So Braden and Austin and Taylor, and they start taking these next steps. And I'm going to tell you what, I would rejoice when they would lead a section of a song. And then when they led a song, and when they did a transition between songs, and then when they led a whole set, and then we just put two of them up here by themselves, and neither one of us had to. I'm going to tell you what, there were small steps that in just three years we went from two worship leaders to five worship leaders got to learn how to celebrate the small steps. See, if you keep taking small steps, one day you'll look back and you'll be, I can't believe I've come that far. I'm not where I want to be, but I sure am not where I used to be. Small steps in obedience lead to great change. Lead to great change. 
You see this in the Bible all throughout it. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. I think this is a phenomenal illustration of this. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Most of us would say contentment. That's a small step. Just trying to say, God, what you've given me in this season of my life, it's enough. I'm not going to be jealous. I'm not going to be envious. God, it's enough. The wife you've blessed me with, she's enough. The husband you've blessed me with is enough. God, I'm content with my family, my kids, my house. And God, I'm going to be pursuing godliness. Godliness is, I'm going to go after God. I'm going to try to be the person God made me to be. And we look at that, and that's daily, small steps, dying to myself. And you look at those two things, and you might say, well, that's not that like life. Ought, well, it is, because the Bible says that those two together become great gain. You know, as I think about the gospel of Jesus, Jesus illustrates steps for us that we need to take. Just think about it. The incarnation. Jesus leaving heaven to come to earth. He showed up. You realize that showing up is sometimes just the next step. Some of y'all did that this morning. You didn't feel like coming to church, but you came to church. Showing up is the next step. And the very next thing we really see in the Bible is his baptism. He goes to his cousin John and says, and I want you to baptize me in. In many ways, it was a a sign of surrender. It was, Father, I know the will that you have for me. I'm surrendered to it. That's why baptism is a picture of, of death. Jesus surrendering to his Father's will. Surrender is the next step. And it's not just, y'all, y'all listen, it's not just a my life thing. You realize we're supposed to surrender our lives every day. Like you wake up and go, God, I surrender my life. I surrender my kids. I surrender my marriage, my grandkids, my finances. I surrender it all. Then in the ministry of Jesus, what did he do? He traveled around, went over here and talked and went over here and healed and went over. He did what? He went. You know, sometimes the next step is just go. You, you know that that person in your family's hurting. Just go see them. You know that person has had some bad news. Go give them a call. Go go it's a good next step and obviously we we get to the cross of jesus and we we think of the the sacrifice and all the pain but y'all listen there's a perspective of it i want you to see that's a next step for some of us is he shows us that in the middle of suffering we can be submitted see some of us have yet to figure out how to suffer Because all we suffer through is pride and yelling at God and telling Him how it ought to be different. But Jesus submitted in humility to the plan of the Father by going to the cross. For some of us, the next step is, God, in the middle of this difficult time, I'm going to submit to You in humility and I'm going to receive what You have out of this difficult, painful season. And then the resurrection, right? He comes out of the tomb alive. You realize every day you have to choose what you're going to live for. Are you going to come alive for your spouse or friends or your job, your kids? Or are you going to live for God? The end of the book of Zechariah prophetically points 
towards Jesus. It's powerful. It really is. It's a, it's a powerful prophetic writing. And I want you to see, this is a verse out of Zechariah 12, verse 10. I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. I will pour out a spirit of grace. And that word supplication can mean prayer or going after God. And what he's saying is, listen, I'm going to pour out grace. And that's going to release you to come and pursue a relationship with me. But notice what he says next. He, I mean, hadn't met Jesus. Jesus doesn't enter the world until 500 years later. They will look on me, the one they have pierced. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him, as one who grieves for a firstborn son. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not die, but have everlasting life. Why are we going to two campuses? Because Jesus died for this city. And we'll do whatever it takes to make space and room so that those who are hurting and lost will have a seat. Now I want you to hear this. If you call Vortex Church home and right now you're, you're not serving, you need to get to serving. Not, not because we, I mean, we've already filled out the teams, but because you need to be a part of what God's going to do. Not just a passive spectator. If you're not giving and you call this church home, y'all listen, pray about giving. Now, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even going to command what the Bible commands. But if you're not willing to pray about it, we have other issues than your giving. Pray about it. If you're already serving, you're already giving. Can I ask you to do something? Pray and serve big. I mean, pray for our team. Can I just say this vulnerably? The last three weeks have been perhaps the most difficult personally for my family out of the last 11 years. We have experienced more spiritual attack than we have ever experienced in the history of our church. Would you pray for us? If you're serving and give, would you would you show up? I mean, let's just show up and show. Big. God is on the verge of doing something. I mean, I was reminded of this when I, I, I as I was studying for this message. This this little book, Zechariah in the Old Testament, is it has spawned quite a bit of things throughout the history of the church. But I read about a story of a man who was actually impacted by this little book. His name was William Cooper. Cooper was born in 1731 to the chaplain who served King George II in England. Now he it would attend the Church of England school, the Westminster school. And even though it was a Christian school, it was faith-based, and he was brilliant academically. When he graduated, he would say later that he knew very little about God. His father was aggressive and driven, and he pushed him into law. And he started serving in the government, but all the while, 
he struggled with depression and anxiety. Around his 21st birthday, his father passed away. And it crushed him. Found out not too long after that that the office that he clerked for was under investigation by the government. And it sent him emotionally reeling. Two times within the span of a few days, he attempted to take his own life. They were unsuccessful. And his brother intervened. His brother, they didn't know what to do with people. There were no medications hundreds of years ago. And his brother took him and had him committed to an insane asylum. And in the middle of that broken place, this brilliant young man just trying to grasp towards some semblance of normalcy began reading the Bible because it reminded him of his father. And one day, he was reading through Romans 4. And he said it was just like Something inside switched on and for the first time ever I could look up at heaven and see a God that loved me. In that room, in that asylum, he surrendered his life to God. After two years, he was released. And he went to serve with a family friend who was a pastor. And that pastor even though he was elderly, had several important friends. One named John Newton, who is now famous for having written Amazing Grace. See, Cooper was still struggling with depression and anxiety, and at times was incapacitated by his mental illness. And Newton became friends and loved him deeply. And at one point he, he suggested, why don't you start writing poems and, and hymns to deal with the, the difficult thoughts that you're struggling with? Unbeknownst to Newton, William Cooper would become one of the most lauded poets in English history. Having written hymns that were sung all over the world one of those inspired by a little verse at the end of the book of Zechariah the words are there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day, and there have I, as vile as he, washed all my sins away. From there is a fountain by William Cooper. It was inspired by Zechariah chapter 13, verse 1. On that day, 
a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. And I'm here today to tell you that that fountain was open when the hands of Jesus were pierced. And the blood of Jesus still today cleanses those of us who walk into spaces like this feeling like we're nothing but trash and we don't deserve a second chance, but there's a God who's willing to give you one. Today, this little book that's thousands of years old, points you and me to an opportunity to just simply say yes to God. To receive what He has for you in a moment like this. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.